everyone. This is Discussing Who, and on this episode, episode number 120, for starters, Lee and Clarence are not here. What are we going to be talking about this episode without Lee and Clarence? Well, for starters, Lee may not be here in presence. He may not be here on this recording at the moment, but he was on a recording January the 1st, 2018, along with a friend of his who I have gotten to know over the past several months, a gentleman by the name of Brett Hareholds. When we recorded this on the 1st, and think about it, the first day of January, this is the morning before Twice Upon a Time. We've not seen the 13th Doctor in action yet. I mean, of course, we've not seen at this recording a complete episode of the 13th Doctor, but you guys get what I'm saying. So we're talking about Doctor Who. We're talking a little bit into comics. So why haven't I put this episode out yet? And why am I putting it out now? Well, quite simply, here's the reason. It's Doctor Who, and what happens to episodes of Doctor Who? Some of the episodes get lost, and in typical Kyle fashion, I have to make a corny joke about this is Doctor Who, and the audio for this episode was believed to be lost, and last night I was going through some files trying to find some of the outtakes that we have done, either at the end of our recordings or me messing up at the very beginning of the welcome back, everyone, and messing that up. So I found a file that was labeled BHLSKJ0101. And I thought to myself, okay, is this? And I clicked on it, and believe it or not, yes, it was. It is not the complete recording, because I'm doing this um, introduction now. Here's that recording. We're going to play that, and I will be back on the back end. I will see you then. Spoilers. 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 Brett and Lee, happy first day of January 2018. A good way to start off bright and early. This is not even at night. I'll say, well, tonight we're recording, but we're doing it at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. So bright and early morning to you. Same to you. It's 21 degrees in North Carolina. uh, What's what's the temperature where you are, Brett? Five. Five, five. It's yeah, five degrees here. Oh, it's, it's a, <laughs> oh, and you said it's 21 in North Carolina? Uh-huh. I, I'm only 18 degrees here. How interesting. Wow. It's 18 in Mississippi. It's 18 in Mississippi. And okay. Gosh. So it's like it gets it gets warmer and then it I, gets colder. <laughs> I don't. I kind of remember that in Savannah, too. It, it's like there'd be a, a, a short, like, cold snap in, like, January, and then it would, like, heat up. Huh. How weird. Well, there you go. Well, I, I immediately took us to the level of talking about the weather, but I was just uh, – <laughs> <so> <laughs> I apologize. But, no, uh, no worries. No, no, but no. but, I, but I, I'm curious, you know. It's, yeah. Well, it's, anyway. it's, relative, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of want to get an idea of, you know, how you guys met. And, and Brett, let me kind of tell you how you came into this story um, just as an FYI. Um, Lee and I were talking, uh, well, not actually talking, but just kind of, you know, chatting back and forth, uh, using a, 
uh, I think, I think it was on Slack that we did it. And probably, um, Lee came back and said, well, you know, you did, you mentioned one time who's somebody that you know that might be a good person to bring on and talk to us and your name popped up. So really, yes. <laughs> so, uh, he said, you know, I've, I, you know, here's his information, reach out to him. And yeah. so here we are. So here's my question. And this is open to either one of you. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met through a uh, through. We have the same agent, right? Yeah, Lee. Right, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, uh, Whit Brantley. Yes, Zara uh, 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 represents us professionally, and uh, uh, at one time, Whit had was had a very. Um, uh, uh, he was investing a lot of time in a website. There was a, a gallery of everybody's work. And, you know, I was scrolling past stuff, blah, 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 blah. And they got <laughs> to Brett's stuff and said, hello. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. And, um, yeah, Brett and I connected on Facebook. And right. now I now I call him my twin son from a different mother. So because <laughs> we have so many we have so many uh, I know. Uh, interests in common, including kind of off base things. Uh, uh, I keep being surprised. Silent films and uh, yeah. Woodhouse, for God's sake. And yeah. So, so question: What is the most offbeat commonality that the two of you have? Gosh, is it the Goon Show? The Goon Show. I think I think it's definitely Peter Sellers and the Goons. Yeah, right. It's one of those things not a lot of people in the states might know about, and a lot of it I found out through like Monty. You know, my love for Monty Python's Flying Circus, which I've been watching since I was like four. Yeah, and. one of their influences was uh, Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, and Harry Seacombe of The uh, Goon Show. So I kind of got interested in that. And then when I traveled to uh, England, I was able to pick up some audio cassettes. Yes, audio cassettes of The Goon Show, which I <laughs> absolutely loved. Daddy, what's an audio cassette? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now they're – I guess they're all out there, you know, if you – yeah. Uh, can, you can download them because because strangely the BBC kept all of those recordings. Unlike some other shows we can mention, mm-hmm. they I know, but at least they keep the pillars. They don't necessarily <laughs> keep the um, you know keep keep that. But at least they kept the pillars. Well, you, some of the Telegoon ones they didn't keep, were uh, oh, they the wipe. That's true. That's true. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Really, you think about yeah. all the episodes that don't exist anymore just because they were trying to save money on cassettes or tape i know but meanwhile there's acres of warehouses of costumes and set pieces and things like that but yeah yeah but uh, you may have had the same uh challenge that i have of trying to turn people on to the goon show because yeah. it, it is definitely an acquired taste I oh it is so so <laughs> well, i think it's because the humor is so i guess scatological it's just you know it's like it's sort of you know i i enjoy it because it's sort of like it, it it's like animated cartoons the characters you know they die a, a cartoon death. They don't die a real oh, death. Or, constantly, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. for someone who has no idea of what the Goon Show is. Oh, oh okay. All right. So you guys were telling me about what is the <clears throat> um, uh, Goon Show. So let's just pick you up You want to start there. Lee or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the ground level for the Goon Show? It was a, a BBC comedy radio show. That ran that aired throughout the fifties, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't I can't remember start and end dates, but um, but uh, started out with a a larger cast, and then uh, kind of quickly settled into being uh, Spike Milligan and Harry Seacom and Peter Sellers, who yeah. was Peter Sellers was already a film star, but he was not 
the kind of household name that he is right yet today uh so i don't know did the goon show kind of is that kind of what made him the, the big star or i think it's a little bit i think a lot of it was his ability to you know first his ability to you know be able to change voices but then he you know yes people finding out that he can also you know you know he would put on makeup and he could you know you could think of this man who was probably like in his late 20s, early 30s at the time, could be somebody 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Or even right. when the wrong box came out, here he is probably in his early 40s playing somebody who's, you know, much older is Dr. Pratt. Oh, that's right. Long box. Yeah. Are you, but, but, are you from the police? <laughs> no. Then I am Dr. Pratt, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Clouseau is still in the future. Uh, Dr. Strangelove is still in the future, but. Uh, but yeah, he it it is basically it is sort of like Harry Seacombe plays a character. Frequently, Spike Milligan plays a character, and Peter Sellers plays everybody else. Yeah. Um. Although Spike often did. Uh, yeah. But but he but, but the shackles and Minnie Bannister and Minnie Bannister. Oh, uh, fine, fine, fine. Oh, I know, I know what to equate this to that that uh, will click for you, Kyle. Is it's Little Britain. Ah, it's yeah. Little Britain via audio only. Right. Uh, in, in that style of a, of a small cast playing a wide range of characters. But it was always one story about a half an hour long. And sometimes the stories have a coherent narrative and sometimes they just don't. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the show, the story ends when the half hour is up. Yep. And uh, which is, I think, is one of the barriers to turning people on to the show because they will be listening for a half hour and say, wait, that was it? Yeah, that was it. And it may never be back it up. To, okay. uh, I kind of liken it to like uh, Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny cartoons with the characters. You notice in like a, a, a Warner Brothers animation, Bugs Bunny, it seems like he's meeting Elmer Fudd for the first time in every oh, animation. Yeah. The Goon Show would do that, too. You know, you'd have uh, Hercules, Grid Pipe Thin, and Moriarty, Count Moriarty, who are the uh, chief villains, uh, bamboozling Nettie Seagoon every single episode. And, mm-hmm. you know, so very much like that, where it's like the characters, very much like animated cartoons where the characters would meet for the first time, even though they've been ample amount of animations, you know, of duck seeds and rabbit seeds and or any of the other ones. And the, uh, the Hope Crosby road films too, or yes, or the Marx brothers for that matter. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're always called different characters, but they're clearly the same. Yeah. Yeah. It may be, uh, you know, uh, Captain Spaulding or, uh, or Otis P Driftwood, but it was always Groucho. Right. So let so. me ask you guys this. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just sitting here listening to you and, and, and I'm, I'm sensing, like just two people sitting in a coffee shop talking. And I mean, there's obviously a familiarity with you. So the question right. is maybe not in a coffee shop setting, but have you guys ever met in person? Actually, no, no, no. Uh, we're, we're too far away. Yeah. How yeah, interesting. But, I trump you yeah. on that one because I have met Lee. So that's cool. That's right. Well, now the goal is to get the three of us in the same room. Uh, so. Right. Go. Yes. Yeah. But, I've uh, had actually quite a few friends I've met online. One was uh, author Paul Mars, who's done, a lot of Doctor Who stuff, who I've actually communicated for years and done work for with some of you know some of his uh, Doctor Who stuff as well as Brendan Effie, and I'd never met him, and then met him for the first time at uh, Re- Regeneration Who, along with uh, another writer, George Mann, and between him and my wife George and Paul, we all we all just sort of got along uh, wonderfully. You know, we took you know took them out for pizza, which apparently they don't have very good pizza in England, so they were thrilled at Uno's. <laughs> that's interesting yeah, yeah. I've, I've been to england twice and i've eaten a lot of things there never attempted the pizza yeah apparently the pizza's not very good yeah yeah, yeah i've never the even t- thought of pizza in england to be honest the indian takeaway yeah. being pretty good over there 
or as Hyacinth Bouquet would say, the Chinese takeaway, or this is yep. not the Chinese takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, speaking, you know, let's just move into Doctor Who since we All right. you mentioned it. When did you guys realize that you were both fans of Doctor Who? Oh, gosh. Um, it seemed like it was relatively early on. I mean, I suppose a love for all things British. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the through line here, isn't it? Um, well, well, Brett posts a lot of his, uh, his uh, illustration work on Facebook. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the first time, you know, there was something who related, I said, ah, I might have known Brett is also a Whovian. Of course. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, Brett, here's the, here's the $20 or 20,000 or 20 million or a bazillion <laughs> question. Who's Shoot. your favorite doctor? Oh, it, it kind of growing up, I actually really liked Colin Baker. That was when I started getting into the uh, the program was around the time Colin Baker was it was around the time I could start watching the program without being Tom Baker terrified me when I was very young. I really back in the day when they used to show it on PBS. I remember the uh, the seeing the episode um, the invasion of time and just that last shot of Tom looking at the camera and laughing for whatever reason that scared the heck out of me. <laughs> you, you, know, do you, do you know, my mom is the same way. She says, I don't like the one with those eyes. Those eyes were scary to me. <laughs> Later I mean, on, I thought he was great, but you know, yeah. it was around Peter Davison, Colin Baker. I was able to start watching Dr. Who from in front of the sofa, as opposed to behind the sofa. Yeah. And, um, but I actually have to say for the longest time, John Pertwee, I really liked John Pertwee. Mm. Okay, here's a question for both of you. Do you think that they should, at least for an appearance, have Sean Pertwee from uh, Gotham playing his yes. father? Oh, that was a quick answer. So, so I, why I yes? So. I mean, they've already done uh, David Bradley as William Hartnell. I don't see a problem with it personally. I myself. What do you say, Lee? Absolutely, yeah. The the precedent has been set, and uh, and uh, it's not something I ever thought about until um, Sean Pertwee posted pictures of himself on social yes. media, kind of dressed as as the Third Doctor, and it was, of course, um, uncanny, eerily yeah. uncanny. And, and he's a fine actor, you know. It's yeah. it's not it's not just about the physical resemblance, but uh, he's got a slightly different voice than his dad, but that's yeah. not really much of a distraction. Yeah, I mean, since no. he's basically around the same age as. His dad was when he started playing the role. He started to oh. he started to look a lot more like him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree with you that he does have a very different tone of his voice. But I don't think I've ever heard him try to emulate his father's doctor voice. No, you know, no. so he may do a he may could do an excellent rendition of himself mm. as his father. If anybody could, it would be him. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Well, actually, I did hear uh, one of the. Uh, during the Nest Cottage Chronicles, uh, David Troughton did a, a a very good impersonation of his dad. He sounded remarkably like him. I've heard that, yeah. And and he, of course, looks nothing like him. Yeah, you know, he's much bigger, bolder, but, and, uh, you know, a little bit heavier. But he just, he's, uh, uh, yeah, another story with Paul. The... When they were uh, recording, apparently David was flipping through his phone, watching a video footage of his uh, father as the doctor. And then he just kind of turned and said, Dad would like this. Oh, how cool. Yeah. How oh, very cool. So here's a question for both of you. What do you see for 2018? What do you see for Doctor Who fandom as a whole? Hmm. It's always changing, really. I mean, it's like, a, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question, Lee. Yeah, it, it certainly is always changing. Although uh, I think this is the first time, just as Kyle was saying uh, earlier, uh, I guess in our previous podcast that, um, this is this is the biggest shakeup in a regeneration since first to second. Doctor. Yeah, 
Very so if, if there's going to be a rift, it's going to happen now. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and there are people who are saying, well, that's it. The Doctor Who is irretrievably broken and I quit. No. So, yeah, to, to which the rest of us say, bye. Yeah. Um, Honest, gosh, honestly, I just, you know, they've been hinting at it since like the 1980s, since Tom Baker, when he left, he first said, you know, it could be a woman. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it was probably, you know, people say it's time now, but it could have been time 10 years ago. It could have been time at any point i don't think it's going to be i don't think it's going to be jody whitaker is going to make or break the the, the uh the program i think i'm i'm i think she's going to be fine and uh i think it's going to it's all going to lie on chris chibnall or did i pronounce that right you did i believe that's right yeah yeah i i think, I think it's, so. it, it all rests on him it and does. how he handles the program so yeah i agree completely it it's always been i think the showrunners who either run the show into the ground or yeah you know Jonathan Turner. Yep, agreed. You know what was yeah. his, what was his what Actually, was his name? I just heard it in my head. Oh, Jonathan Turner. Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Well, even remember Graham Williams at the time was uh, reviled when you know during his him and Douglas Adams time. There were a lot of people that hated you know the the very you know light way that you know kind of the very overly over the top humorous light way that he handled the program around that. Mm, pirate, I, pirate. I love it personally. I I have no problem with like the Horns and Iman or City of Death. Oh, no, no. Uh, pirate planet, for heaven's sake, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, but, you, I mean, so well, I kind of see the Moffat era being kind of like that, where there was a lot of people who were, you know, split down the middle. But mm-hmm. in in retrospect, I think it'll be the same way. It's like, oh, you know, there were a lot of enjoyable episodes and there were a lot of enjoyable performances. Actually, last night we were watching uh, clips on you. My wife and I were watching clips on YouTube and it was the one uh, where uh What's it, uh, Peter Capaldi comes out in uh, Davros's chair and said, you know, makes, you know, makes the statement of, uh, you know, this, you have, you've had to have had this in your nightmare at some, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually found the scene funny. I, I absolutely love Peter Capaldi and I was very upset that he didn't do at least one more season, but maybe it's better to go out on a high note, a really one, you know, kind of like what Peter Davison went through. His last season was actually, you know, one of his strongest. Oh yeah. You know, it's interesting that you said that because I'll, I'll say something that I said in our recording last night to Lee and Clarence, which was, you know, when Capaldi first came onto the scene, I was very turned off by his iteration of the doctor or his incarnation of the doctor. And I really didn't know why. And it's not, it has nothing to do with Capaldi as an actor, but the portrayal of, of how the character was presented. But I think because we got season or series 10 where the doctor is so likable, such likable companions and the fact that he leaves at the end of the season, I think it creates that sadness that I felt because it left me wanting more. And I think that's the sadness of this doctor is when he finally gets to his stride, he regenerates. I think it's, I think I, I, yeah. So, guys, let me ask you this. In the in the last five years, if you could say what is the worst mistake that has been made by the BBC or Doctor Who production team for for you guys being in, you know, the industries that you are and knowing the ins and outs that that you do, maybe more so than I would. What would you say if you were the showrunner or if you were BBC production? And you were looking back and you said, okay, what is the worst mistake we've made as a production company or as a showrunner in the last five years? What would you say that one mistake might be? Hmm. You see, you see what I mean, Brett? He asks good questions. He really does. They're tough. 
I think yeah. Matt Smith's second season, the whole death of the doctor thing, just kind of, uh, at the time I did not care for it. Cause I, I didn't know if they were going to change the program in a way that it wasn't going to be the program anymore. I, I'm, I can't remember, but I, I think that whole thing, it didn't work as well as I thought. And I'm kind of wondering if a lot of it's, uh, Moffat's, you know, you know, stretching things, things out onto the whole of a season. You know, he, he was always very, he's always very good at those like small enclosed stories, but you know, like an idea and like stretching it out over a course of time. So maybe his, uh, idea was wearing a bit thin, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, the other thing I, I always, I'm going to be very unpopular by saying, I always kind of wish they just kind of kept river song as, as you know, a one-off character, a, a character that might, uh, might have, you know, been somewhere in the far future of the Doctor, maybe not, who knows. But I don't fault him for using the character as much as he did, because it's one of those things, I, as a creator, knowing, you know, you created this character and you want to use it, you know, you you just want to kind of use it as much as you want. Lee? Um, yeah, I think if there's a big mistake made in the last few years, it was uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss trying to do Doctor Who and Sherlock at the same time. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, good one. Good one. Just because I was fans of both, yeah, I, I felt like I could. I felt like I was watching the stress on both shows, and if anything, <laughs> and Doctor Who was getting short shrift, and um, yeah, I just felt I just felt like uh, Doctor Who was on autopilot there while they while they went off to do uh, to put That's so much point. Uh, yeah. intention into Sherlock, and uh, and then both ends. That's mean? it. Yes, exactly. And uh, I, you know, I I don't know. I just as a, as a writer, I just I can't imagine trying to read well <laughs> i do i do read you know now documents that are basically 2000 page scripts for my classes but uh right uh but so it, it must have been like that only with you know the stakes being massively elevated right right uh, it's just uh, just crazy so in a but, way it sounds like we lost an a, a season i mean and then we and in effect we kind of really did you know we lost by holding season 10 for almost a year yes you know, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. we could have had two so. seasons of Bill Potts for that matter. Right. Yeah, I would have loved that. Bill was a, I, I actually really liked the combination of Bill and Nardole. I thought they worked really well with this doctor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely yeah, yeah. agree. Yeah. It was the first alien companion we've had since Turlo, I think. Does mm-hmm. uh, Captain Jack count or I never. He's from Earth. Oh, yeah. okay. Then, yeah, yeah, he's from All right, then Earth in the future. That. Yeah, it's the first, you know, alien companion we had on the TARDIS who, you know. Wow. Turlo so, wasn't human. That's right. And, and I like you forgetting that. <laughs> That's right. Yep. I, you know, totally, nor, nor, nor the, the whole dynamic with Nordle, he reminds me so much of how you took the one off character with Donna Noble in The Runaway yes. Bride. And she I was love Donna Noble. So, but I didn't in The Runaway Bride. I yeah, was totally. Exactly. You know, like whenever I've, I've said this to Lee before, when I heard that, uh, Catherine Tate was coming back, I cringed because I was like, Oh, I can't stand Donna. And then, you know, before Bill, she was my favorite new companion. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, who do I pick her or Donna, her or Donna? Because I like them so, both so much, you know, and, yeah. um, so let me, let me reverse, um, that question. If you were the, uh, showrunner or BBC <laughs> production, what is the best decision you think has been made in the last five years? Ooh. The best decision. Yes. I really like how they brought back Davros. Um, Explain. Hmm. Explain. I thought, oh, gosh. I just I it was one of those characters I really wanted to see come back in, in the modern the modern series and see how they interpreted mm. it. And I think they just made him look 
even more nightmarish than he did in the the previous seasons. And also the actor who played him actually did, a, I think, a reasonably good, not re- really imitating, but uh, sort of, a, you know, sort of continuing the character. Continuing. Yeah. yeah. It yeah, wasn't like a riff on Michael Wishner or Terry Malloy, you know, even though there were points when he would make these statements that would sound very Michael Wisher or Wishner, however you pronounce his name, you know, that in the way he did his voice. But it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was these other things. I'm having trouble thinking right now, but there have been yeah. All right, what a lot. It, what about you? That's a, oh, that's that's a great example, though. And I, I'm not sure John that's. Hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. John yeah. Hurt, <laughs> doctor, I actually really, really liked this. I, you know, the idea I've always liked, like. The idea of the interim regeneration, but I, this unknown regeneration of the doctor played by a remarkable actor is actually, I, I, I enjoyed, you know, enjoyed every moment he was in the, the, uh, 50th. Yeah, Agreed. that's right. We, we only, we only really got an hour to spend with him, but, uh, yep. yeah, but it's all solid gold. But that one moment at the end of, uh, name of the doctor where, you know, it's like he's speaking and then suddenly turns around at the end and you're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I thought that image came from I Claudius. That was oh, real. Oh. I guess, but uh, yeah, but it's it's from. Uh, but yeah, but it, uh, that information is out there. It's on the TARDIS wiki or something where, oh, okay. where that 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 image of young John Hurt came from. Yeah, it's reflected in the chalice. But uh, but you know when we when we did our review of Day of the Doctor, I was surprised that that uh, well, and I guess not surprised, but, but Clarence uh, wasn't familiar really with John Hurt before this at all. So he didn't really know who that guy. Really? The, the chalice was. So I guess it still works. I mean, the only point of the story is that it, 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 we're supposed to see the eighth doctor is gone and somebody has taken his place. That's, that's right. really the, see, the story point. See, I think I fall in the, uh, in the category that Clarence did. I think he knew him more from like, you know, what he's done later in his life. Because right. yeah. when, sure. you know, the, the, the only reason I knew that he was in the elephant man and that he was in alien was because I went back and said, okay, well, who is this John Hurt guy that, you know, I knew he was a well-known famous actor, but as far as, you know, following his career, I hadn't. And I think, I think Clarence and I both fell in that category. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I got to agree about Davros too. I've always been fascinated by him. I, I always think that's one of um, the, the Terry Nation's great creation is not the yeah. Daleks, but Davros. Yeah, you know, and uh, just because I've always loved the idea that when we finally meet the mind behind the Daleks, we, he looks like them. Yeah, you know? and did you realize this whole thing is about his own vanity? He made these yeah. things in his own image, right? <laughs> and. and but which I just, I just think that's one of the most brilliant ideas of, of all who. So yeah, it was great to see him again and even see him as a child who. Yeah, that was, it, that was very interesting. So, okay. So I, story. so I have a side question here and this is not one yes. that I uh, wrote down. And this is a question for Lee. Oh. When, when, you, when you heard uh, the response that Brett gave earlier talking about uh, river, uh, what was your thought that was going through your head <laughs> at that point? I thought, well, <laughs> I thought, well, Kyle is just going to hang up on you. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. It's funny. I actually kind of agree with you in a sense of, look, I, I love river song as a character. But if I were to go back and say, what would I say maybe one of the mistakes have been in the last five years? I don't know who River would have been, but to me, I think it cheapened her story a little bit by making her the child. I I actually agree with that. I mean, nothing against Alex Kingston as an actress or anything like that. I guess in my mind, I thought I thought it was kind of a neat idea to have a companion that, you know, maybe sometime far off in the future, we may never meet her but you know 
it, you know, it's one of those things. She, she exists sort of like the Valyard in some ways, where it's like a future incarnation of the Doctor, where you, you, it may, you, he may or may not make a proper appearance, but he's there somewhere off in the far future. Right, exactly. But now, as far as Alex Kingston, because of the way they did it, I mean, I could never have enough River Song. But I right. agreed with. But 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 it was funny, and it was so funny whenever uh, to me when it was Lee's turn. It was like you know there was that couple of seconds of silence, and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, I would love to know what's going through Lee's yes, head yeah. right now. <laughs> you got to leave that silence there. <laughs> All right, so let me ask you guys another question: um, If you could write. For any doctor, one through war through 13, if you could write for any doctor, which doctor would that be? I've talked a lot. Lee, you, you first. Well, what, a, what, a great, what a great question. I think it would be easiest to write a third doctor story. So since I've never since I've never done it, you know, I would be I would be, you know, trying to find the ropes and prove that I could do it. Um, yeah, I would I would I would write for the third doctor. They were, they were very formulaic and they were, uh, the, the whole idea was to take advantage of their own limitations. You know, if we're going to go somewhere, it's going to be in a rock quarry or it's going to be to, uh, you know, a, a, a petroleum plant or something, you know, right. those are the locations or else we're going to be in our standing set for unit. And, um, uh, it, it, I, it, so, so that's very theatrical. That's very much like, uh, the, the, the limitations, uh, of stage play. And of course, that's what I, do most of so yeah be ready. Very well. yeah so all right so brett what uh, about you oh actually i've always wanted to write second doctor but between uh war games and spearhead from space mm-hmm. yeah sort of these idea of the time lord sending sending the second doctor on these uh, little errands sort of via like in uh, five doctors and the two the two doctors mm-hmm. interesting you know i actually read i don't know the i, I can't it's been 10 years ago now or more, but I read a novel one time that was the second doctor and he's, and on the cover it had him dressed up as Napoleon. And I think he oh, was, I know, I know which one you're talking about. Okay. And he, it, it, it's like they, t- they take him out right before. And it's one of those stories that you just referred to of right before the regeneration, they send him on a mission. And I, I can't tell you what, you know, the name of that book is, but it, it fell right in that time. Right. you just mentioned well they also terry terrence dicks terry terrence dicks uh, did a novel the players with the sixth doctor and perry which actually in between had like a uh, the, a second doctor story between uh, war games and spearhead for space which was actually very interesting interesting all right yeah. so, so let me ask you guys this which doctor would you not want to write for Ooh. Hmm. yeah six probably um gosh that's a that's a tough one. It is, yeah. Ninth. Sorry. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Why? Uh, I, not that, I just, I don't know. I I think, uh, I like a lot of people, I was a little put off when uh, he just left after one season. And, I, you know, it's like his reason. His reasonings may be valid, but I just felt like it, it kind of robbed the fans of, you know, what else could have happened. And I just kind of wonder, because he just said there was a lot of problems with the powers that be, but I haven't really heard any of the other actors who have played the doctor complain about you know or at least i haven't heard you know them complain about anything behind the scenes or them having trouble with anybody yeah and certainly not with russell d davies or no that's what kind of surprised me because it's like russell t davies seen russell the davies seems 
like a you know he seems like a really nice guy and i don't know him but right. you know you see him in interviews you know he's very enthusiastic about the the series he's very you know he's, he always seems very upbeat well, so for it's that like, matter, you know, he's, if it weren't for him, I mean, now, who's to say oh, yeah. someone in the future would not have tried to bring it back? But at that mm-hmm. time, if it wasn't for him, we may not be sitting here today talking about Doctor Who. Right. You Absolutely. Know? So, you know, I, I, you know, I can't fault um, Moffat, I mean, not Moffat, but I can't fault Eccleston for wanting to leave for whatever yeah. his reasons was. But I agree, David Tennant wouldn't have stayed for five years if things were that bad and right you know the he put a very bad taste in my mouth with the whole i'm not going to come back as uh yeah you know the doctor for the 50th and i don't want to be typecast i just i i, I mean and then he goes up and plays destro and gi joe shortly right, thereafter. Exactly. right. you yeah. know so it's not like i mean I, you know i'm not saying that you should be beholden to no. being the doctor forever but i think when you are playing an iconic role, be it James Bond, be it the Doctor, there is some type of legacy that you're signing on to that comes with that role. When you say, I will be this person, not that I appeared on Doctor Who once and never came back again, but I signed on to be the Doctor. I think there's yeah. you, you have to say, I'm going to... By doing this and being paid to do this as a job, therefore, also comes with that all this tapestry around it. And if I'm going to accept that job, that tapestry around it comes with that job. Yeah. So that's just my two. <laughs> no, but and, you know, as we're talking about it, it occurs to me for the first time that uh, we we now know that when they were rebooting the series, were relaunching Doctor Who. That they had this actor and and all the showrunner, everybody involved. We want Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. And and his deal is he's going to do one year, and that okay. is that is known from the beginning. And it just hit me that I can imagine that one of the reasons why RTD would agree to that is that it means that we're gonna we're gonna bring along a new generation of fans who are going to learn who the Doctor is, what the TARDIS is, what a Time Lord is, and so on and so forth. And they're also going to learn how regeneration works. That's very true. It's actually very, very true because, you know, us older ones know, you know, from the past. But, yeah, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's just new to the series would just, you know, because I actually it's funny. I remember that, you know, seeing a Peter Davison episode for the first time and thinking to myself and actually mentioned my dad's like, where's the doctor? He goes right there. I was like, and it just kind of hit me <laughs> like, you know, it's like he doesn't have a scarf and curly hair and yeah, eyes. It's not him. It still worked. You know, Peter David. I thought Peter Davison was a great doctor. Yeah, I agree with you. And. You know, I, I go back, you know, with, with that one year again, if that's what he wanted to do, you know, that was fine. But the, the, the other tidbit on that is I think David Tennant was the first choice who wasn't available at the time. I think I remember reading that some, at some point over the years. And, you know, who's to say that Eccleston found out that Tennant was the first choice and, you know, it was like, okay, there was an ego thing going on. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Yeah. But maybe mm-hmm. that was some of the, um, interesting, you know, point. feeling that he had of, you know, I'm just your second best. And yeah. therefore everything that they did, you know, he had a unconscious issue with simply knowing, well, you know, I'm Christopher Eccleston and you didn't want me as your first choice. Maybe let's be honest. You look at the history of Doctor Who, most of the actors, 
with the exception of maybe a couple, weren't like were like the second or third choice in the role. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I think even with Tom Tom Baker was uh, <clears throat> Michael Benteen and Graham Crowden were both mm-hmm. you know choices that they they wanted as the Doctor. I think Richard Griffith was the first choice for uh, the fifth Doctor. Mm-hmm. The only uh, the only other one I think was Colin Baker was like the only choice for the sixth Doctor at the time, and I always felt terrible for him because he wanted a you know he wanted a costume that looked like Eccleston's or you know yes. Peter Capaldi's yes. and Nathan Turner's like no totally tasteless and I'd I'd just be like damn it oh that's yeah. a good way to describe John Nathan Turner very good <laughs> good for you totally tasteless <laughs> so you know watching the interviews with him and you know I guess uh, the poor costume designers doing out these these costumes and uh, and he's saying, oh, not tasteless enough. Not t-. So apparently she did, you know, just took, you know, pen and just scribbled something on the paper, showed it to him, goes, that's perfect. And it's the costume we ended up with or mm-hmm. the clothing we right. ended up with. You know, Lee made a um, good statement one time or actually a very good statement one time, which was I was complaining, as sometimes I do, about the seventh Doctor's era and the production values, and not necessarily because it was the late 80s, but just how campy it was. And Lee made a comment saying, considering that the axe of Michael Grade was constantly being grinded and that they were able to come out and still produce what they did is a feat unto itself, knowing that you were ever approaching that um, day of cancellation or hiatus, as you call it, or they call it. No, I agree with that statement 100%. I feel like, you know, watching it, given, you know, it's like given the, yeah, like you said, given the production values, the fact that, the, you know, you have the, the production, you know, the people, you also had a, a producer who, a showrunner who just didn't want to be on the show anymore. So you had that working against you, them too. But, you know, you had a scriptwriter and a, uh, and people, you know, involved who wanted, you know, to do, you know, do very interesting stories and even push the, the doctor in a different dimension, a different direction and make him, you know, you know, just make him a little, try to get back to the, you know, sort of the mystery of the program with, with the, you know, very shoestring budget they had. Yep. So let, let me switch to companions for a second. Which is the companion that you would want to write for the most? Oh, Sarah Jane Smith. Good answer. <laughs> that may be all I three of us. Yeah. yeah, me too. And you know, once we were trying to, um, uh, I guess, I guess the first time that Clarence had seen her was in, uh, five doctors. Is no, that right? no, no, no. In uh, school I mean, reunion. He had seen her well, on well, the show. Well, yeah. In school reunion. Yeah. But I mean, but, 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 I mean, but the classic version. <laughs> yeah. I mean, classic Sarah, right. Um, yeah. And, and he was saying, you know, I know, I know y'all love the, this, uh, this character, but eh. And I thought, well, okay, you haven't really been introduced to Sarah Jane, right. but it, but it did start me wondering, what do you, what exactly is it that I loved about her so much? I mean, Elizabeth Sladen is cute as a little bug. I get that, yeah. but hmm, but you know, it really made me wonder. I mean, she's always been my favorite companion, but suddenly I couldn't really t- explain why. I couldn't defend it. I think there was a camaraderie, even though she, you know, she was, you know, she would complain at some of the stuff that the fourth doctor would do there was that there was like like they they just seemed to gel and there was like a camaraderie between the two like you know basically two school chums hanging out rather than you know the sort of older character Mm. and the younger character you you felt like they really enjoyed each other's company and i think that kind of helped the character that is so right yeah yeah that that immediately clicks with me because i uh i I just love uh brain of morbius that's probably my favorite and and really it, it it is the doctor and Sarah are almost operating as, as equals there. I mean, yes. she, she saves his life. 
and um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that w- there was sort of uh, yeah. at her time the, the the sort of paternalism uh, <laughs> disappears a little bit, and she's able to sort of stand up and be herself. Um, I think my second yeah. favorite, I'll have to say, is Nissa. I always, I know Nissa gets a, a lot of flack, but I always thought she and the Fifth Doctor got along the best. They're a fascinating couple, and yeah. uh, and she's probably the 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 smartest uh, female companion we've had since Zoe. Yes, so that's oh, interesting. Actually, my wife and I were just talking about Zoe because we're thinking about companions that didn't scream and uh, were, all the time, and were actually you know she you know had like a you know and Zoe had like the computer brain, so mm-hmm. not literally a computer, but she was just very very intelligent. intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the doctor described her as his intellectual equal. So you know. When I sit here and I remember, you know, what you're referring to, Lee, when we did The Brain of Morbius and, you, you know, it was it was hard for me to defend Sarah Jane outside of just being able to say, oh, well, uh, it's because it's Sarah Jane, you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Sarah Jane. And, you know, I kept coming back after, you know, kind of feeling bad that I couldn't defend the character more. <laughs> and, you know, I think it goes for me. On several different levels. Number one, I like Tom Baker the best because that's who I remember first being the doctor. That was who I first saw as the doctor and who was his companion, Sarah Jane Smith. But I think on another level, there are actors and actors for all of us, uh, you know, as human beings, uh, you know, forget the cute as a button thing, but just as an actor of how they portray, there is something in that portrayal that that actor and that character touches something in your psyche. Like, for instance, let's go Star Trek for a second. I revolted when they took out um, the first Doctor that was on there and replaced her in the second season, the Gates McFadden, Beverly Crusher. And yeah. it wasn't like that she was this great character, but there was just something about that portrayal that I really, really liked. And, you know, I can go back and I look at all these other television shows that I've watched over the years. And I don't know if it's per se that actor or actress, um, but I do know that it's just been the way they've portrayed the character. And, the best way to see stuff like that is go back to the days of American soap operas, and they may do the same thing in Britain. But when you would have an actor leave, but the character stay, and you oh, all of a sudden, yes, and you hate when they recast the character, and you hate the new actor that or actress that's in the role because you you connected for some reason with that other character and this new person playing it you you know despise because of that so i think it's just something in us that just attaches on an emotional psychic level with that interpretation of a character that's yeah. kind of how it is for me with sarah jane i'm well so, said and it's the challenge always of the regenerations is that yeah. there, there's always going to be a resistance to whoever the new person is right. and uh, that's um have you have you seen uh did you see uh um David Tennant when he was on uh, uh, Stephen Colbert's show. Mm-mm. No, tell me. Uh, and uh, Colbert was asking him, "What you know? What, what do you think about uh, the kerfuffle about uh, uh, Jodie Whittaker being the new Doctor?" And um, David, bless him, he immediately went for. He said, "No, every, they, they do that every time there's a new Doctor. You know, it's <laughs> it's not. You know, this really isn't anything different. You know, she's she's just she's just you know she's just not." Peter Capaldi, you know, that's what. Yeah. And, and I, I think he's he's oversimplifying, but it, 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 I thought it was heroic of him just to put it that way. On yeah. Matt Smith is too young. Yeah. Peter Capaldi right, exactly. is too old. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I really that. everybody wanted the young dishy doctor. Yes, David Tennant and Matt Smith, and they right. went back to something a little old, you know, a little from the the past, you know, more of like the William Hartnell, John Pertwee style doctor. And Capaldi's not not if you look at it in retrospect, neither Hartnell nor Pertwee were that was that old at the time. I think Pertwee was only fifty, and uh, mm. Hartnell, who looked like he was probably eighty, was only like. Maybe fifty five. Yeah, he was fifty five. Yeah. yeah, he and Peter Capaldi, like, I Grant, think, were yeah. Capaldi was like one or two months younger than uh, yes, Hartnell. Which, right, so, and, and if you know that, that makes the, the business in the Christmas special all that much funnier. I, I thought you were younger. younger. <laughs> I like I like that line. Yeah, right. I mean that was the, I don't know a lot of people were I don't know actually I don't know. I'm kind of wondering how many people were on the fence about recasting the first Doctor, and I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, I never, I, a lot of people hated the Richard Herndahl first doctor, and I never had a problem with that either. Yeah. You know, I like how they did it, yeah. explaining it in story. I think that was very, a very sly and smart move to do. That was, that was fun. So, so kudos to them. All right. So yeah. one, one more Doctor Who question before we move quickly to comic books, which is okay. reversing that last question that I asked, which is the companion you would not want to uh, write for? And I have an easy one if y'all can't um, think of it. So keep going. is your easy one Mel? N- no, even even worse than that. <laughs> chameleon. Yes. Uh, oh, I have changed my yeah. That's that's a chameleon's a tough one because he would really did do much, but I don't think they could do much with the puppet. I think they had a big idea and then realized in practice it's like this isn't going to work. Yeah. It's worse than K nine. Yes. I, know. I was going to say, it's if you K-9 were complaining works. about the robot dog, how can you have this big mannequin that's just right. flopped over to the side? Right. It's like you know trying to operate and be like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> While the budgets are being cut. Yeah. Exactly. That's a that was a tough time for Doctor Who. It's like wanting to do a lot and not being able to do enough with with it. And considering a lot of the production values of a lot of American shows were kind of picking up oh, at the time. Oh boy. You know, you look at Star Trek: The Next Generation and. Yeah. Even actually, thinking about it, it's funny. This is, I think, this is the first time in fandom that the, you know, you, I could think of three franchises where the <clears throat> the fans are kind of split down the middle with Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who about the way the show is being handled. And very and interesting. They, they either love it, they either or hate it, or or compl- are kind of split. All right. So I'm asking this question for Clarence. Uh, are you a Star Trek fan? Me? Yes. Yes. I'm not Clarence. No, I know, but I'm. At, but- oh, you're asking it for. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of the show, but I, you know, if, if an episode's there, I, I, you know, I'll watch it. I just, I was never, you know, I don't hate the show. I just was never, I never got into it. So have, have you seen Discovery? I haven't yet. No. Okay. Um, because I was curious to see, uh, because you are right. The fandom is very, very, very split. I suppose I'm gauging my answers on people who are fans or fans of Star Trek who have seen the show that, you know, I just feel like, you know, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't the way the show should be handled. Whereas some people are like, oh, I'm, I have no problem with it. Yeah, I and have no problem with it. Yeah, and then people who watch the Orville, right? Uh, All right. So well, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, divided fandoms. I mean, there's there's actually a poll out there to you know a campaign to Disney to not make Star Wars Episode Nine, but really? to but to but to make Episode Eight correctly. <laughs> <laughs> According to the fans who believe that the franchise belongs to them and not to not to Disney, um, and you you know uh, that it's an interesting discussion about to whom a fandom belongs. 
but but people yeah that upset about last jedi that they're they're saying you know this this violates you know you've ruined my childhood is the, i would is not the go thing that far say. i still no. have the original trilogy as, as they were before the remasters i you know it's like my childhood's intact i can watch them whenever i want thank you <laughs> exactly i mean if jar jar banks didn't destroy your childhood how could uh the last jedi i mean yeah. seriously as Mark Hamill said, it's only a movie. Yes. yes I mean, yes, you yes. may not like the the direction they went in, went in, but I just kind of, I just have to kind of shrug on it, you know. All right. So it's let just, me ask you, and I, um, and Brett, this is kind of directed at you first and foremost. Okay. You are in the world of comic books. Is that not yes. a true statement? What's that? You are in the world of comic books. What you do, your illustrations, your, your you, it would be a true statement to say that you are in the world of comic books. I am yes. So, for anyone who not who does not know you, tell in a you know just a summary. What is it that you do in comic? Um, I guess I'm sort of writer uh, writer illustrator. Uh, I don't consider myself a writer per se, but I do. You know, I kind of force myself to be a script, script writer, but I'm more of an illustrator, graphic novelist. So I. Um, so I, you know, I basically write. You can edit this, right? Yeah, I can edit. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over my words right now. I, I, I do a lot of uh, work with, you know, I've done work with other people's story, but I've done a lot of work with my own stuff too. So I, I guess I've, you know, done both work for companies and my own and self-publishing. So I, I don't know how you'd categorize that as. So, so let me, you know, um, you know, I've talked with people that you know have been in the self-publishing, been in yeah. not the big two, and. What would you in in the world of self publishing? What do you find being in that world the most challenging? I think it's just making your work look good and not jumping the gun. Whereas you know it's like taking the time to read it or have friends you know proofread your work. I think a lot of I think there's a lot of the unfortunately a lot of the IR writers sort of uh, mentality when it comes to self publishing, and I think that kind of ruins it from some time. But just knowing you know being able to put the your best work out because you're, you're basically a, some of the times being your own editor. And sometimes you, you, you make mistakes and you're like, Oh shoot, I sh- shouldn't have left that out. But with uh, a lot of like the platforms that are out there, like uh Lulu or um, create space, you can go back and sort of uh, fix, uh, you know, you know, fix it and just uh, resubmit it. What would you consider to be your favorite piece of work that you've done so far? Oh gosh, actually I, I have two and then it's kind of, represents two parts of my my uh writing career one was the first graphic novel i did diary of the black widow which uh, i based on i'd written as a short performance piece and then when i submitted it to Al- alterna they uh they i needed to expand the story so i got to add a lot of um, a lot more back you know a little bit of backstory to it as well as you know some some jokes i i, I rather liked but also i really enjoyed uh doing an adaptation of uh, William Gillette's Sherlock Holmes. I, for whatever reason, I just always wanted to do a graphic novel based on that one because I don't think a lot of people have done adaptations of it. I, I think there's been maybe only a couple of uh, a couple of movies based on it, but I always found it fascinating just because of that New England connection to the, uh, you know, with William Gillette being born in uh, Connecticut and being, you know, being one of the first people, one of the very first people in the United States to play Sherlock Holmes on stage. So, um, that and was, then to, and then to play him for what, 40 years or something. Yeah, exactly. Till about, what was he about in his seventies or eighties? He was in his yeah seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, to, you know, be that, so, 
you know, there's very few very few actors who have been that associated with the character, you know, as opposed to you know like Basil Rathbone or Jeremy or the great Jeremy Brett. All right, so this next question I'm going to pose to both of you, and I hope this falls into Lee's category of. Oh, see, I told you he asked good questions. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this, <laughs> this warrants that, which yeah, the is, heat is on. if you, both of you received an email or a call today from someone at DC, someone at Marvel and said, we, you know, we're starting a new comic book and we are wanting Mr. Shackelford. We want you to do the writing. Mr. Herholtz, we want you to do the illustration and we're not taking, we're not doing this book unless you two are paired together and you're committing to 50 episodes or issue. Well, Having said that, you get to write any character you want, either from our uh, stable of characters or a historical character. And I, I know I'm just saying this quickly, but what character would the two of you want to collaborate on for Marvel or? Well. Yeah, I'm sure we have our own, but yeah, what yeah. would we get to get? You want to you want to come in with me on my uh, relaunch of the Fantastic Four? Oh, yes, yeah. Good outstanding. One. Yeah. There right, we're so done. What do you say? Yeah. Oh gosh, let's see, literary or characters from this their past. I've always wanted to write for Green Arrow. Hmm. Yeah. I was I always just really like you know the character, especially you know both the the way you know Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, and then later Mike Grell did the character. Okay, I've got a I've got a book that I think you know. And just in hearing uh, the two of you talk for the last uh, fifty minutes, I think I would like to see a rendition of what the two of you would do on Wonder Woman. Hmm, I'd be interested. Yeah. yeah. As far as a literary character, I'd love to bring back somebody like Raffles or Albert Campion as a series. Wow. Yeah. Those, I think those are very... Yeah, that, yeah, I would enjoy writing a Raffles book. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's like a character who hasn't been really utilized in the last few years, although I've heard rumors that they might be doing a modern adaptation of Raffles. Hmm. All right, I'm going to play the dumb one here. Who's Raffles? <laughs> uh, he's a amateur cracksman or a gentleman thief. He was actually uh, created by the brother-in-law of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as kind of a... I, I don't know if you'd say a parody, but a... Uh, or a loving send-up of sort of Sherlock Holmes, where you have Sherlock Holmes as the, you know, a, a champion of, you know, the art of detecting, whereas uh, Raffles is very good at uh, stealing things in the in the in the way of uh, in in the brilliance of Sherlock Holmes. Ah, cool, cool. Yeah, he, he's he's Sherlock Holmes gone wrong. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and uh, but but and the stories are written uh, almost as sort of um, emotional beat by emotional beat versions of Sherlock Holmes stories. Yep. Just. He's just, you know, breaking the people's houses and taking their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. That's I don't know quite if it's in a Robin Hood sort of way, but it's, you know, it's, yeah. All right. So let me ask you guys this question. Who is winning? And and, and whenever I say the um, this next question, I'm referring to Marvel and DC in, in this next question. Who would you say is winning the war for comic book supremacy right now? Marvel or DC? At least movie-wise, I would say Marvel, but in, in the world of comics, I think DC's actually uh, trumping them with, you know, since they've kind of wiped away the uh, new 52 and sort of went back to, you know, sort of went back to the way it was, you know, with the rebirth. Okay. Uh, Mr. Shackelford, what do you say? I'm not uh, not following uh, uh, the whole world of comics enough to, to be able to tell you. Um, I, uh, I've been out of the game long enough that I'm now trying to catch up. <laughs> 
So, uh, uh, the, so the the advent of um, of comics online has been a a godsend, and I'm finally able to read some of the things that I I heard other people talking about. But yeah, I just ran out of room to store all these books, and yeah, I couldn't yeah, me too. And and I and I because I'm older than you guys, I remember when comics were twelve cents. I remember and, when they were thirty five. Come yeah, on now, there you go, and. Um, yeah, to me, and they were, and it was sixty-four. I mean, it was thirty-two pages, uh, and, and you know, there, there were ads on the uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> on the end papers, and that was all. Ads for Charles so, Atlas and stuff that you'd probably mail away for, and be awful. Exactly, exactly. Actually, I had a friend uh, who did one of the mailaways for Franken the the Frankenstein uh, supposedly life size, and he gets it, and it's like it's not life size, and uh, he's got a smile on his face. Yeah, but what, and what about all those sea fish people? Oh, oh sea monkeys. Uh, yeah, that's right. Who's somebody who got the sea monkey, you know, or a.k.a. brine shrimp? They were brine <laughs> shrimp, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I had a friend who, who sent away for sea monkeys, yeah. Certainly not as advertised. But, uh, yeah, I bought some things from Johnson Smith, I know. So that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. I think I bought the Looney Tunes scissors, or the cartoon yeah. scissors, which were bl- blunted and awful and all were very uncomfortable. Wow. <laughs> well, I had to get, I had to get, I had to have some x-ray specs. I do remember that. Oh, gosh. I had x-ray specs and, uh, yeah. Oh, those things. I mean, and, 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 and they were all made just so that it, everybody was sitting there going, I want this. Mom, dad, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have yeah. this? There's a yeah. book out that's uh, all the, that's like a collection of all the, uh, the send away ads, but they, not only did they have the ads, they had what the product actually looked like. And some of them, like the, the, uh, what, the submarine made out of cardboard mm-hmm. where if, you know, it's just like if you tried to put it in your pool, it would just end up being a, you know, a suffocation <laughs> hazard. Right. And, and yeah, a handful of mud too. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But I did think it looked kind of awesome. I mean, yeah. it, I was thinking if I was eight, I would have, yeah, I would have loved the hell out of that. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. On your backyard. So I'm, Brent, I'm sure, you know, um, uh, the amazing adventures of Cavalier and clay. Oh yeah. I still, one of those things I haven't had a chance to, Oh, Oh, we lost him again. No, I'm still here. Hey, oh, you are. Okay, there you are. I just saw Sorry come up. Ah. Yeah, actually, that's one of those books I have on my shelf I haven't had a chance to read yet. But, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, you are going to love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, I've read it over and over again. But one of the things that happens, I mean, for everybody who doesn't know, it is a, a fictionalized story about the early days of uh, the comics industry. Yeah. And uh, one of the depicted in it is these guys at one of the big publishers who uh, they've got crates of this this crap this absolute worthless garbage and somebody there says you know what we can sell it to people because and tell them if you don't like it send it back and nobody's going to do that and it's it's like it's like in the story you're witnessing the moment where that whole thing happens where people say wait a minute that's brilliant we 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 don't have to provide a product that's actually worth anything and it's only a nickel, so who cares, you know? And this is, of course, during the Depression, you know? <laughs> but you, when you mention the, you know, the birth of the comic industry, it reminds me of uh, Will Eisner's story, The Dreamer, which was his, uh, his, uh, him summing up, you know, his early days running, writing comics. And you have, like, you know, interpretations of different creators, like Jack Kirby, which was, they have one great story in it of Kirby just, um, you know, kind of going up against somebody who was kind of, you know, supposed to be, I guess, supposed to be with the mob or something like like that, trying to get uh, their studio to buy towels. And they, you know, have Kirby at like maybe only five feet tall, you mm-hmm. know, standing up to this guy. And it's just it really, it's just really kind of an interesting story. It also mentions, you know, Eisner being sued by DC for uh, Superman. 
which was, I believe, a real case. Speaking yeah, it's of, amazing that it's amazing that he uh, he got out of that without uh, yeah. Just well, look being at the whole thing with Captain Marvel. I mean, there was a character he had a cape and he flew, but he was very. And the only reason uh, they sued him is because Captain Marvel was kicking uh, Superman's big blue blue and red ass in sales. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, if yeah. you guys have not watched, or if you have Hulu and have not watched, I definitely recommend it. There is a documentary on Hulu. It's a Hulu original called Batman and Bill. I've yeah. seen it. It's amazing. Yes, yeah. is it I, not? I'm, I, I I'm going to change my I, answer I, from Green Arrow to uh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's we're, a character not I would love to work for. No, no, but I have always loved the original uh, Billy Batson Captain yes. Marvel. So, okay, yes. that's it. Brett and I are working on the Captain Marvel book. Yes. There you go. So, yeah. Okay, cool. I, did, I just thought about it now. I just I, That's a character I've always loved. I, I have a friend who loved the, the, the serials with Tom Tyler from the 1940s. Holy but smoke. I, but he just uh, – I just think it's a great character because it's like – it's a cartoon character where you could basically – you know, there was, you know, a Marvel family, a Marvel bunny. I mean, it just okay. – it was – there's I, an he, Uncle Marvel. In mm-hmm. an Uncle Marvel, yes. He was a complete charlatan, of course. Yeah, he was a W.C. Field sort of character. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I, okay, I changed my answer. I want to write for Captain Marvel. <laughs> Actually, on a side story, I did uh, submit a script to DC, which got uh, uh, rejected. Where I was, it was it was around the time they were doing uh, Shazam and the Monster Society of Evil. I always wanted to do uh, remake, uh, you know, the uh, Captain Marvel versus the plot against the universe, where Doctor Savannah steals uh, Shazam's powers. And basically becomes uh, uh, what's what's the word uh, omnipotent. Yeah. Ah. Okay. And it's a it just it's it was like in Captain Marvel number one hundred. It was just a fantastic story, and I completely derailed the conversation. I'm sorry. No. 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 We're, no, we're, it, we're discussing comics. Exactly. Yes. Uh, exactly. But, yeah. Appropriate. Okay, Lee. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do Captain Marvel. And you know, going back to what you said before, I agree with what you said, Brett, about the comic book war. I think the Marvel book, are, you know, the line of books are so falling behind DC after they corrected ship with the new 52 and did yeah. the rebirth and, and went back to basic. Marvel, I think, is still struggling with the fact of, well, you know what? Let me put it this. There is a, in Marvel, there is this current, um, thing going on that you can find out what Wolverine is doing in the after scenes of these upcoming issues, one blah, 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 blah. And it's a, in, in, in other words, they're trying to take the after scene of the after credits of the movies, of the movies and saying, oh. find out what Wolverine is doing now that he is back in, you know, the last page of issue 141 of this book and 142 of this book and et cetera and so forth. And I'm like, I might be totally, really? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I I'm might like, be totally really? off base. But I just feel like they don't really – Disney just doesn't care about the books. They're just sort of focused on the movies because that's the moneymaker. I might be on, off base on that one. No, I feel that way too. And, I, and, no. and people that I've talked to in comic stores feel that way, that they that the books are nothing more than fodder for the movies. Yeah. yeah. I, I now know a couple of people at Disney who would back that up. Oh, really? Yeah. And, so. and, and you see – I mean, look at the, the way that they – you know, literally kind of you go to some of their merchandising over the last five years and there is a classic cover of uh, Secret Wars number one from 1984. And yeah. it had X-Men characters in it and it had, uh, you know, it had X-Men, it had Fantastic Four characters in it. Well, I have a shirt. I'm not wearing it now, but I have a shirt that is a homage to Secret Wars uh, T-shirt that's um, I got sometime last year. 
And all of those Fantastic Four and X-Men characters were replaced by characters that are in their Netflix shows. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's totally what, what you guys just said. Yeah. And in DC's defense, at least, uh, at least in their television series, they've been doing so much better than the way they've been doing their uh, movies. True. True, true, I, true. I, yeah. My wife, who prefers the Marvel movies, actually really likes like Legends of Tomorrow and uh, Arrow and doesn't really watch The Flash as much. Flash, she finds The Flash to be a little too lightweight, but she definitely really enjoys Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, I like Legends of Tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not an Arrow. You know, I've not really watched Arrow as much. Yeah. But having said that, the the only thing that kind of gets to me with um, the Flash is he's just a little bit sometimes too forgiving and too heart. You know, it's like, okay, dude, stop crying at some point. Yeah. And I guess the uh, t- the upcoming Titan series has been getting a lot of attention just uh, was from fans who have actually been very excited about some of the pictures that have been shown. And I'm interested in seeing what they do with it. Yeah, I am too. Um curious to see if they will actually put Donna Troy in there. Yeah. Well, everybody's been pissing and moaning that the about the actress playing St- Starfire because of the, the color of her skin. I'm just like, Starfire is orange. Who gives a... Who cares who the actress is? Yeah, exactly. Is? Who, you know, and she doesn't have pupils. I'm going to see if yeah. she's got pupils in her eyes. It's like the people who thought Mary Jane, you know, complaining about Mary Jane not being redheaded in Spider-Man Homecoming. It's like, who cares? You know, get, you know I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for that one, too. No, but I didn't like the the actress, Kristen Dunst. Uh, no, isn't that Kristen who played? Dunst. Yeah. I did no, not care for her Dunst. rendition or interpretation of Mary Jane in, no, I in the movies. That. No, oh, in terms of McGuire's spider tears. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. In, in terms he was of an the, ugly bugger when he could cry. <laughs> talk talk about the personality of Mary Jane, though. The the character as we saw in Homecoming is way closer to the MJ that I grew up Agreed. loving in the yeah. comics. Agree. So, uh, you know, I, I I go to the school of, and I'm going to tie this back and kind of wrap up here. You know, back to you know the Thirteenth Doctor. If you personify the essence of the character, then, you know, I don't think it matters if you're old, if you're young, if you, right. you know, if you can say and if you can describe in story why this character's changed sex, then then that's fine. If it's a such a notable character. Um, but I know that the character that um, I can't remember her name as the actress, but she was on uh, the practice and she's she's been one of those characters in the Marvel Netflix shows that's the lawyer but I can't remember um, what the character's name is but I mean the actress's name but her character in the comics has always been a man but it was a minor back character and I did not know until I started reading up on the character that in the comics the character was a man. I just oh. thought that she was who that character was, and right. she did it so well that I never was like, oh, well, this is supposed to be a man. It just was instant. You know, that was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Oh, well, it was in the comics. It was a man. Okay, well, what to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, there was a big Finnish Doctor Who Unbound, which they regenerated the Doctor as a woman. Ah. Played by Annabella Ware. And the the way they did it was kind of interesting, where apparently if the doctor commits suicide in between regenerations, he changes his sex. <laughs> I think that was I don't I think they were doing that as kind of a a jab at the fans who were kind of complaining about the doctor being a woman. 
<laughs> interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. So it ended up being, interesting. Yeah, it was Nick because it, it was Nick Briggs standing in for the set. It was the idea of the the doctor escaped uh, at the end of the war games and you know was able to resist you know being exiled to Earth where she where she ends up being exiled to Earth but sort of living an everyday life escaping from the Time Lords. Interesting. I never huh. listened to it, but I've had a few friends who didn't particularly care about it, care for it. It also has David Tennant in it as one of the Time Lords. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. The Unbound stories were actually really interesting in the sense I love the one with David Warner as the alternate third doctor. He's really he does he's really good with Nick Briggs. Interesting. Yeah. Always love David Warner. Yeah. So he and it's another one like uh David Bradley where he doesn't impersonate uh John Pertwee. He does his own version of uh, the third doctor. And uh, this is a third doctor who doesn't come to Earth in time. He ends up instead of the nineteen seventies, he ends up he ends up in the nineteen nineties where, you know, everything's invaded Earth, but the doctor was never there to save it. Oh cool. <laughs> you remind me, Kyle, I think I I think I told you my story about uh, being at the the convention at Gallifrey and um with a friend of mine and we were standing around, uh, I, I was at the, uh, the big finish table and there's this nice guy who was there selling the CDs. And I, I, I it, there wasn't a lot going on in the dealer's room. So I ended up standing there talking to this guy for the longest time. And we had this great conversation about, about audio performance and about nuances yeah. of writing. And anyway, then I left and uh, my friend said, uh, Oh, you got a nice long talk with Nicholas Briggs, didn't you? And I said, really? What? And he said, that's Nicholas Briggs. And I said, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally did not know that while I've been standing here talking to him. But this, Actually, but, 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 but I ended up going to Regeneration Who last year, and yeah. where we met the friends, and I think, well, I already mentioned, and, and we're actually behind us, there was uh, Nicholas Briggs sitting at a table with a, a, a bunch of uh, women sitting around him, and we're all just kind of chuckling and saying, oh, oh, Nick Briggs in his harem. Yeah. And like, I'm just Briggs. thinking myself, so apparently you have to be bald British and a Dalek to uh, get the girls. There you go. The women. Oh, that's funny. That is so. I so I actually ended up. I actually ended up talking with Terry Malloy the whole, the whole time about the Goon Show. It was yeah. like, yeah, right. And he's like one of the nicest, just uh, you know, nicest guys. You know, one of the most evil people in the universe, but one of the nicest guys in real life. Exactly. Yeah. We we yeah we, we we've talked with these lovely Daleks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the okay. That's a good one. I've never heard anyone refer to the lovely Daleks. The lovely Daleks. The lovely Daleks. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let me let me do this. Uh, I, I, let me turn the table, and I've been asking a lot of questions. And no, uh, go ahead. Um, you know, Brett, do do you have any questions that you want to pose out of curiosity or anything like that? And then Lee, you know, I'll let you do the same. Oh gosh, can't think of any right now. I'm, I'm never good right on the spot. No, 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 that's good. What about you, Lee? Uh, I, I'd be interested since we're, we're talking about um, like, uh, a new regeneration for discussing who, uh, a question for Brad. What if yeah. we could, if you could uh, be a host on an episode that was about any aspect of Doctor Who, what would it be? Oh, I, maybe the Valyard. I'd love to see them bring back the Valyard. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, I, yeah. I feel like it was a character who was interesting but never y- utilized right. And I mean, Michael Jason was, you know, great in the role. Now, probably maybe a little too old. You know, you could always get like someone like Richard E. Grant to play the Valyard, mm-hmm. even though he's already been in it. But how many actors have, you know, you think about the series of actors who have been in Doctor Who before that end up in Doctor Who later on. Ian Martyr, who was 
Harry Sullivan was in a in Carnival of uh, what was it Carnival of Animals or Carnival of Monsters? Carnival, Carnival the one of with the dress. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, yes. Um, actually, well, even uh, Peter Purves was played a uh, a really bad Western character in uh, one of uh, the first Doctor's episode before he was Stephen. Yep, the, the first American we ever meet in the series claims he's from Alabama. Of course he is. Yep. So I've always, uh, yeah, I always said, hey, shout out to my home state there. Although, strangely, he's wearing a cowboy <laughs> hat, which uh, I have never seen in my whole. <laughs> so, then, so this is a course, British view of yeah, Alabama. Yeah. And then, of course, most most famously, Colin Baker, who played yeah. uh, Maxill to play the Sixth Doctor. That's right. So, you know, people can come back. And David Bradley, who was, you know, dinosaurs in the spaceship, exactly. playing William Hartnell, or then playing uh, First Doctor. True. And Peter Capaldi. Yep. Peter Capaldi. That's true. Prima Agamemnon, uh, you know, played, you know, just a one-off character. So did well, that's uh, right. yes. Karen Shep Gillan. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. So let me p- pose this hypothesis based on what you guys were saying about the Ballyard. So we said that Richard E. Grant has appeared before and he jumped, it, he jumped uh, Doctor's time stream, correct? Yes. All right. So having said that, we've also seen that the Doctor has passed his 12th and final regeneration because he's right. on, you know, regeneration's past that so who's to say in the canon of doctor who that richard e grant's great intelligence jumping into the time stream trying to destroy the doctor posed himself as the valley yard just putting that out there that's the way i'd write it that's fantastic absolutely fantastic (laughs) all right well hey guys I, i it's been uh you know, it's almost 1030 now or 1130 you guys time. I won't yeah, keep you anymore. But Brad, let me tell you, this has been fun. I've enjoyed oh, this. Thank you. Me too. I, I can't wait for the next time. Well, um, here's kind you of see what, what I'm telling you, Kyle. He's awesome, right? I, I agree I'm, with you. you. I, I just wish that I would have had my recorder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, quite. I'm a, I'm, quite. A, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of saying the recorder. <laughs> the recorder. Just because I of the noise, Clarence. I'll buy you a thousand recorders. Oh, 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 that was a good one. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again for Brett and Lee for waking up bright and early back several months ago now to record that with me. Thanks, everyone, like I said, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Brett, I hope you enjoy this recording and come back on with us to talk about more to Doctor Who as well as comic books. You're welcome back anytime. And for anyone listening, if you have any feedback, you can send that to host at discussingnetwork.com. And we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new audio 
Audible subscription, and you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that? You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you.